1: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who sea shanties his way through Surrey, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Oh! No, I'm not going to.
2: There's a little
1: taste. The, the the videos you sent us were glorious. You were having a lovely old time yeah. walking down your local high
2: street, yeah. belting out some sea shanties. Mm. This... uh this is a this trend is custom designed to uh, ruin my girlfriend's life essentially.
1: Is she very self-conscious about you doing this? No,
2: no, no, it's just she's just being exposed to sea shanties several hours a day, you know. The first couple <laughs> That's all fun. That's a good laugh, but um, I imagine. I mean, I can tell. It's very clear. It wears you down <laughs> over over a yeah. course of weeks. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When it um when it first became a thing. Yeah. Uh, I I was I was going to suggest that we write a Spurs shanty, and then I realised how naff that would be very quickly because I mean it just everything was shanties for literally a week, which I can see Nathan's not not unhappy about that. He's quite <laughs> he's quite he's quite pleased for everything. I think the shanty. trend is
2: gone already, but I'm... Um, I'm still enjoying that. I mean I was already singing a lot. I sing a lot. I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm a keen singer. Nice.
1: Nice. Um shout out to Oregon Shane who says just got my XG Longsley T and the women they won't stay away. Mm um yeah i enjoyed that i enjoyed that keep reading
2: that tweet please because it's been copy pasted in i would like you to finish reading it
1: okay um okay here's what it says at the end uh high voltage sign flushed face smiling face with three hearts rolling on the floor laughing sign of the horns high voltage sign hashtag dope af
2: i think that works in
1: podcast form, doesn't it yeah it's like having a screen reader read your emojis Um, yeah, we've got long-sleeved XG t-shirts on our shop at uk forward slash shop. Go and have a look. You might like the hat too, or you might not. I like them. I think they're quite cool. Buddy, you've got you've got a hat.
3: Everybody's decked out in full extra inch merch. Nice, nice.
1: So we are recording this on Tuesday this week. Um that's because we played Wickham on the Monday. Uh we did a we did a live ex subs QA pre Wickham match, which was which was good fun. Lots of fun. Um I was a bit overexcited I think for that, <laughs> to be honest. It it went and some of the questions, to be honest, yeah. Our ex subs were sort of um leading us astray, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll come on to that later because there's going to be a whole s- section of this podcast about one of the questions we discussed <laughs> uh, last night. Not the fuck, marry, kill, clock, oh, okay. Mourinho or Poch one. Uh, we'll 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 keep that for ex-subs only. Um, so yeah, we're recording post Wickham. And um, pre Liverpool, which means we've got a very small window for this podcast to be relevant in. Uh, but let's let's do the Wickham game. Let's talk about the Wickham game. I was I was surprised by the team selection because I thought we'd go strong. Uh, Barty was completely spot on and said we would fully rotate, which we did. Um, Nathan, how happy were you with the eleven that that went out?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was kind of it was kind of necessary. Uh, Bardi's right because of the just absurd amount of of games we have in a, you know a week <laughs> essentially. Was I was I I mean the thing is it's like when we rotate we don't rotate because the whole game as it played out especially is to like keep it level <laughs> for like 60 mm-hmm. minutes and then bring on the first teamers to get the win at the end thereby achieving both like them having been rested for an hour of football and also you get you get the result out of those players as well so yeah, yeah i mean that that was very much <laughs> you look at the score line for one easy smash them you know <laughs> walk yeah. in the park <laughs> um but that's you know, by bringing on and doubling and kate and son at the end
1: yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very fair point. I'm, I'm personally not keen on this A team, B team thing. Mm. And my ideal strategy for rotation would be to have sort of 15, 16, maybe even 17 players that you can play in any combination that you're comfortable with, that all know the system, that can all slot in. Mm. That's that's my preference with rotation. I think A and B teams is, is problematic for a whole bunch of reasons, but mainly motivation, to be honest. Um, but I, I didn't think we were unmotivated or demotivated, rather against Wickham. I thought there was, you know, the, the players were up up for it. In inverted commas, as as we say, Bale was. Yeah, I mean, so let's go. Let's start with Bale because there was a lots of there was lots of criticism of Bale's performance, particularly in the first half. I literally thought he was like our most eye opening player. He was getting into good positions and doing things and looked much more like old Gareth Bale than we've seen so far. Bardi, what did you think of, of Bale against Wickham?
3: You know, I thought he was okay. I I thought it was a little bit wasteful in the first half. I it, it it's difficult to get yeah. it's difficult to get a handle on it because commentary seemed to be bigging up Lucas's performance. And I thought Lucas was Typical Lucas, where it looks all well and good, but if you actually analyze what he's done and what he's provided to the team, it's nothing. He, he's someone in the office that does everything, but when you actually break it down at the, at the end of year review, hasn't produced a single usable piece of work. Whereas, whereas Bale tried a few things. Had a good, had a few good ideas, but ultimately they didn't achieve anything. But I thought as the game wore on, he looked better and better and he seemed to grow in confidence. He was going in on his, cutting inside as he always does on his left, but he was also going on his right. He was trying to link with Harry and he looked, he looked better as the game wore on. I'm not sure whether I would start him in the next match, but I thought his performance was fine and I thought his goal came at a crucial time. And the reason why we, pay £300,000 a week for Bale is for those crucial moments for him to step up and he did step up. Going in at 1-0 is obviously it's a huge, it's very different to going in at 1-1. So I was I was perfectly happy with Bale. I think we also
1: need to note that we're not a team that is spoilt with goals from uh, other players aside from Kane and Son. And so we need to sort of appreciate when other players are chipping in. And Domboli being one who's chipped in regularly recently and now Bale adding goals as well. I mean, that is going to be incredibly helpful if it continues. Uh, I think you're right, Buddy. I don't think he should start the next game, but I definitely think he now has uh, has made himself a genuine option as a as a substitute, and I think we'll start to see him coming on more. Um, Nathan, what did you think of Bale's performance? I mean, one thing I was encouraged by was a couple of bursts of pace.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the main thing. Like the, the question with Bale isn't like, <laughs> is he a good finisher? Is he a productive, you know, final third player? Like, of course, of course, that's the player that he is. Uh, you know, is he smart off the ball? Is he technical? That kind of thing. It's, it's like. Can he get to match fitness? Can he can he be sharp again? Uh, can he be involved in the game? And that's what he was. And he missed a few shots, and he put one away. <laughs> and it's like you know, so really, really promising. Because I think that he was like pretty. He was getting, he was approaching written off time essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I I wonder if that like, he simply needed mm-hmm. like months and months of fitness training. If that's how far off he was from from where he needed to be. You know, I I've had um. I've had ongoing knee, hip, and back injuries for the last uh, year and a half, really, um, and I know that. And when I'm finally relieved from them, I'm going to be way, way off. I'm not, I'm, not just I'm going to be off my 5k pace. I'm not going to be able to complete 5k <laughs> for several weeks, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's going to take. You know, if if you're out that long, and I think that he has been away from match fitness for so long maybe it just takes him that long to get close and um yeah you know playing as many minutes as he did at that higher tempo obviously it helps the speed that wickham play at um but yeah really good to see him involved, creative bringing other players rather than just going for goal every time but his best play was his goal and his goal was essentially him playing as a center forward i still think that probably a better use of him would be to play him up top um I don't know, but that's a hard call because, again, you, you want to get him involved. And the best way from the goal is when he's away from <laughs> defenders and, and picking yeah. up in wide areas. So that's a, it's a trickier one. Um, but yeah, I was—I was, I think Bale, after the win, um, the best positive from that game is that, that Bale looked alive, essentially. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. There were a couple of nice moments where Harry Kane pulled wide, picked up the ball, and Bale instinctively essentially positioned himself between the posts. And I, mm. I just don't think we have many other players that do that, and, so, and that's so a, that's a really useful thing to have in the squad. Um, I, I was impressed. I was impressed with Bale. You know, it's only Wickham, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm. But Bale, Bale looked better than he had previously, and I, I thought he, um, I thought he showed some good signs. And um, let's talk about how the game went more generally. It was, I mean, it started off very promisingly. We seemed to be well on top, and then it quickly became obvious that. Wickham carried a genuine threat um, themselves through piezu who is a, is a, a newcomer to Wickham. He's he's only just returned from injury. Um, they're hoping that he can sort of take over from Akinfenwa as their as their main number nine. Uh, he he looked impressive. Musquey, who I've never seen before, but is on loan from Leicester, looked very impressive. Also, as did um, Fred Onyedinma, who has been at Wickham for, for a while, on and off. Uh, he's had various loans, and he ended up scoring their goal. Um, Nathan, were you surprised by how good Wickham looked sort of when they had the ball in, in our final third, in our defensive third?
2: Uh, I mean, obviously there's an extent to which we have the ability to make <laughs> teams look better than they might normally be in possession by letting them have the ball for a little while, uh, which is not something that we as a club have done for... Years and years and years. That's true. So that's always going to be a bit of a, a jarring contrast to us. But I, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean like rude or dismissive or anything. But I didn't think that much of Wickham. I didn't think much of their setup or their players, to be honest. Uh, there wasn't much, you know. No. Or they they got their goal against us, and they they made it hard for us, for, you know, for our B team and prevented Bale from, from you know scoring three goals or whatever obviously um but I wasn't especially the most impressive thing about Wickham Wanderers was their manager's leather
3: jacket. <laughs> he is a rock star. I mean he's literally a rock star. I, I think Wendy's opinion on Wickham is a little bit clouded because apparently his best mate supports Wickham mm-hmm. but um I think you know they, it was a cold it was a cold Tuesday, well it was a cold Monday evening. Wherever Wickham is, not too far north, but it was a cold. It was a cold evening. RB team, and they made it uncomfortable mm. for the first twenty minutes or so. And they scored a goal, but it, you know, they weren't that great. Like they, they weren't Brentford. Brentford, you could see Brentford had a mm. style to them in a way of playing. Wickham work. Let's just let's just make let's make Spurs this make Toby Alderweireld look like a little child, and that's what who did. I've never seen Toby look so small, mm-hmm. and he did look like yes. a, He looked like a. He looked like a, a granddad at a family reunion, like hanging out with the with a couple of the grandkids who are rugby players. He was just he was so small and fragile. I wanted to put a blanket around him. And I think luckily for him, that's what happened in the second half. The referee did look after him a lot. But yeah, there was there was nothing there to be impressed about from Wickham. They, they yeah, they made it uncomfortable. They got a goal, but then we could have been free four one up at halftime. So I know it, I know it took until the last 10 minutes where they fell apart and, and we scored our goals but they weren't that great you know
1: I, I actually agree for what it's worth. I felt, um, you know, they had they had a presence in in the final third, but their midfield was really poor, really, really poor. Um, you know, Harry Winks was at times carrying the ball straight through their midfield. Uh, in fairness to Wickham, they had only trained once in the previous nine days. Uh, they were playing 36-year-old Matt Bloomfield in midfield. You know, they're a club with limited resources. Interestingly, they actually play Brentford this weekend, so uh, a direct matchup of our two most recent championship opponents i I suspect brentford will win that handsomely because they're a very good team um i mean the the, the very promising thing was how we did show a ruthless streak once we made our changes and also no little amount of skill and nathan and was was staggeringly brilliant again
2: yes (laughs) there isn't really much to add to that you know that, that's uh, <laughs> when you have that level of technical skill um when you can embarrass um some of the best teams in the world and then you get 10 minutes against wiccan once you can look ridiculous <laughs> you know
1: is he is he nathan is he one of the best players you've seen at spurs
2: he's one of the best players in the world
1: yeah i strongly agree i feel like um i mean we should talk about this buddy we should talk about your tweet actually because uh, yes, yeah, so we, we could do that. Were about, com, sort of comparing him to Dembele, and, and this is a thing; it's become a thing, and it's partly because their names sound the same. I,
3: no, no, wait, wait. Go on. I wait. I wasn't comparing him to Dembele. I was just watching Ndombele last night, and this this guy is this guy, as Nathan said, is one of the best footballers in the world. And then I started thinking about Dembele, and when. We were talking about League Cups or something a while ago, and I went back and revisited the the League Cup final against Chelsea. and Dembele didn't start; he came on as a substitute. And I thought that was that's bizarre because I've always had this impression that Dembele was an integral part of Pochettino's team, but he wasn't. It was Bentaleb and Mason; they were Pochettino's preferred starting centre midfield duo for a, for a year until something happened. So, has there been a lot of revisionism? I'm not saying Dembele was a bad player, but in his years with us, how many good seasons did we get out of him? And are we already seeing from Ndombele the the goals and the assists and the 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 kind of presence in the team that perhaps we didn't get for an, a long enough period for Dembele for him to be regarded so highly by our fan base? That was that was the question I was pondering today.
2: You have um 15 likes on that tweet and 34 replies, so really, really good work on uh... <laughs>
3: <With you>. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, a lot of them is people discussing Ledley King and whether Ledley King was any good. <laughs> so uh, at least, at least seven is that. Mm. But um, I think I think it's a question. I think it's something that needs to be discussed and something that can be spoken about because I know Dembele was an incredible player, but was he that? incredible and does he get too much so much credit for maybe two and a, two seasons or one and a half seasons of top class play does he get does he get too much credit compared to someone like ericsson who who sustained it for mm. for for maybe four years that 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 was that was what i was thinking
2: yeah i mean essentially the the, the two things that we conflate with our language are like the ability of the player Um, and him at his best and the sort of (laughs) ability to use that ability (laughs) over a number of years, over his career. And we all know exactly how incredibly good Moussa Dembele was at his best when he was match fit. Um, Again, one of the best players in the world. Maybe the best central midfielder just behind Modric, just behind Thiago over the last five years. But as you rightly point out, only when he was match fit, because he suffered with mm. injuries and a, a continuous hip problem, um, basically his entire career, or at least his entire Spurs career. Um, and so, yeah, we got, I don't know, maybe maybe two seasons total of his very best out of him. Um, and if he had had a career in which he didn't suffer from those hip problems, and he'd been at his match fit best for eight seasons then he mm. wouldn't just be someone that Spurs fans say, Wow, what incredible player. Uh he probably wouldn't have remained at Spurs to be realistic. He would be rightly um, you know, remembered as one of the very best midfielders who have ever played the game. Um so that is the difference between like, you know, who who he who he is and what he's achieved. Um this mm-hmm. is not the same as like what trophies have you won. <laughs> like, this is this is what performances yeah. have you been able to put in week in, week out. So yeah. Um yeah, the Ericsson comparison is a good one. And I think that, like, um, if you look for a non-Spurs example. Someone like um, Daniel Sturridge, really incredible footballer, um, was one of the best strikers in the world for a season and a half, and then injuries have ruined him. Um, maybe a more favourite, another level striker, Michael Owen, um, who, who hit those super high notes early on and then and then dwindled away. It's a similar kind of thing, you know.
1: I think there's more to it, though, as well, in that he is absolutely elite or was i should say absolutely elite at the things he did well Uh, but that was quite a sort of limited skill set
2: so i don't think it was though i don't think it was i i i see what you're saying like from a from a um sorry to cut you off by the way but from like a technical and athletic standpoint he shields the ball carries the ball makes short passes right Of you know is a is able to receive on the turn Dribble around a player and has a limited passing range, right? Not many things, right? But like what you're capable of doing physically, and again, what you're capable of achieving on the pitch, um, aren't necessarily aligned. And with essentially these three simple tricks, (laughs) like he was able to run Premier League games. We could no for any whenever he was match fit, he was able to run a Premier League game with some decent defensive work. With an incredible ability to carry the ball, that's it. That's and that's all you need <laughs> to be. Again, and that's really what I.
1: That's what I was going to say. Basically, okay, sorry, I mean, it's, it's it's a limited skill set mm. in the sense that he's only got like course His key core skills were limited, but he could just use those to their absolute maximum. And so it didn't matter that he wasn't mm. particularly great at passing. It didn't matter that he didn't have great vision. It didn't matter that he only scored once every twenty games or something. Um, and so, sort of the the comparison. With Ndombélé, it's. I mean, I understand. So I understand why people talk about Ndombélé and uh, and Dembele when they're talking about midfielders because you know they both play midfield. They're both incredible dribblers, but what they achieve on the pitch is very different. So Dembele was exceptional at screening, I think, and receiving the ball and progressing the ball. But Ndombélé is better at you know progressing the ball into the final third shooting his long range passing his expansive dribbling so he doesn't just sort of beat players and then lay off he beats players and then runs towards goal um and also his i mean his andbleley's vision is ridiculous he, his football i q is ridiculous um i'm so i've ne- i am so i have do not think i've ever been more excited about signing to be honest than i am about and i feel you know, obviously, I've been very excited about Harry Kane. Uh, Son, I have really enjoyed watching grow. But oh my God, Dombey is just like one of my favourite players to watch ever in the and I can't wait to see what he achieves next. Uh, he's really special. And while we're on this subject, we did get a question in the Discord from Jamie T, who said if you had to make a midfield three of Eriksen, Dembele, and Dombele, Højbjerg, and Wanyama all in their prime, <laughs> who would you pick? I mean, I think, I think that's, I think that's easy. I think it's Eriksen, Dembélé, and Dombélé, isn't
2: it? Who wins I'd, the ball?
1: Yeah, you like a combination you of ball. all of them.
2: <laughs> I, that's 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 a really nasty question. I don't. I have to like. Um, like who's
1: to... who? Who needs to win the ball when you've got the ball all
2: the time? Mm, I think you need one of Wanyama or Hoibier in there, and I think that. Okay, um, Wanyama Dembele was sort of a problem midfield for us for a little while. Uh, we played them in front of a four-man defence in a, in a 4 a 3 one um, and we had some problems because both of them are ball carriers and short-range passers. Uh, we became easy to, to limit off for a while, and then we moved to a back three in which wide centre-backs could push up and we could manipulate things that way and get some some longer passes going. Um, I want, even though Wanyama, I believe, is, I would even say considerably better than Hojbjerg defensively, if um, if a Hojbjerg and Dembele midfield um, has essentially everything. So I, but, but then why am I dropping Ndombele? It's just, it's such a ridiculous, I can't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't have an answer. I can't drop any of those players. I can't, there's three of those players I can't drop. And then I still need one of the other two. You just so, wouldn't have them. At so the basically,
1: you you play all, you play four of them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. I would. You know. <laughs> yeah, I would play all four of them. I'd I'd play in Domblay as the ten, and I'd play erikson wide left or whatever. Yeah. You
1: know.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, but Do- speaking of passing
1: range, uh, Huguet played a really nice pass to Andomblay for his his um ridiculous double chop goal. It was a really, really intelligent pass from
3: Huy-Bier through a quite a tight gap, and I was very impressed by that. The the correct answer to that question, for <laughs> that you're both too you're both too scared to say, is you play either Wanyam or Huy-Berg, pick your defensive midfielder of choice. And then alongside them you play Ndombele and Ericsson. Just be brave enough to drop Dembele because the others can pick up the slack that he offers. Just be brave enough and accept it. Join me. (laughs) Join me on my hill.
0: (laughs) Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together.
1: So we had another question from uh, someone on Discord and this was in our this was in our live QA pre Wickham and it was it got us all thinking. It was really good. So it's from Tony Starks. Um Tony said basically, he said, Jose's football at both United and Spurs is seen as negative. Is this because he doesn't trust the centre backs he has at his disposal? And they're not at the same level he had elsewhere. And are our tactics designed to sort of add protection to those weaker centre-backs? Bardi's gone away and done some
3: research on what centre-backs he had elsewhere in his career. So, Bardi, talk us through it. So, what I've done is I've gone and looked at the centre-backs that he he played primarily in his career through Porto, Chelsea, Inter and the rest, and then looked at who he signed. So, at Porto, he had a young Ricky Carvalho and George Costa, who's jorge costa who's named the tank so he's all he's inherited two solid center backs here but i think what we need to remember is having center backs is the key to any successful team if unless you're guardiola and you're able to um, deflect away the weakness of your center backs because of possession and everything else your center backs are always going to be crucial to to winning titles and winning cups and then at chelsea he's got john terry who we all dislike as a human being, but remains a fantastic Premier League defender. And then alongside him, he puts Carvalho, and then you've got a a typical Mourinho centre back where you've got players, you've got left and right, and you've got two players who who he trusts, and he you can see that trust follows um, Mourinho throughout his career because. When he goes to Real Madrid, who's the first player he signs? He signs a 32-year-old uh, Carvalho and then puts him alongside Pepe. At um, At Inter, uh, a really successful spell, he's got Cordoba, who's a legendary Colombian defender, defender, and Walter Samuel, who was nicknamed The Wall. He's inherited these, plus he's got Matarazzi alongside him, who's a lunatic, but a fantastic <laughs> defender. And then the season he wins the Champions League, he adds Lucio to that. He goes out and signs an experienced 31 year old defender who's, I think he won the, yeah, he'd won the World Cup with Brazil. He'd won the Champions League before with Bayern. And this is also follows that Mourinho, he, he likes his experienced centre backs. And we follow that throughout his career. Cahill, Terry, once again at Chelsea, at Real Madrid, he's got Carvalho, Pepe, and then Ramos becomes a centre back, and then he plays Ramos, but he also signs Varane, which, Shows I don't know whether it was Mourinho that signed him, but does show he has an eye for a centre back. But then he comes back to England and things start to unravel a little bit, um, primarily at Manchester United where he arrives and they don't have anybody at centre back. They've got um, Phil Jones, Smalling, Marcus Rojo, um, so he signs Bally Eric Bally, who who's okay. You know he's not bad. He's he's an okay defender, but there's there's faults there. And in his first season, he finishes sixth. And he gets panned for negative football. And I think a lot of that is to do with his centre backs just being so poor. He tries to fix it by signing Lindelof for 35 million. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work either. And Lindelof still, although he's found a bit of form now alongside Maguire, still not very good. And in the final season where he's he's sacked, he, there's a failed bid for Toby Alderweireld. So you could see that throughout his career in Manchester United, he tried to fix that centre back issue, but he was unable to do it. Um so I think yes. I think the way we play now is to protect a group of faulty centre-backs. You've got Alderriod, who's whose legs are going. You've got Sanchez, who's regressed and not the player that we all hoped he would be. And Dyer, who had, a, had tried a career in centre midfield, and now he's gone back to defence because he, he's not able to get around the pitch and he doesn't have the vision to be a defensive midfielder. So I, I do think these last four years... In the Premier League, he has tried to protect his centre backs, so I think that is a large part of why we play the way we play. So, yeah, I agree with to- I agree with Tony Starks. It's it's great stuff, buddy. It's um
1: it's great research. Really interesting to sort of see what he's had in the past. Um, you mentioned that uh, Guardiola's method of protecting his weaker defence is through possession. Uh, Mourinho at Spurs so far has certainly been to sort of bunker in and have plenty of um, defensive players around them and to uh, play deep, protect the box um yeah and, and play on the counter um Nathan do you think there's any way around this do you think it's simply that Mourinho will sign another centre-back uh or do you think he'll come up with some way of of making this work with our current players
2: no I think I think he will want to sign a centre-back probably he's I think we'll be going to be waiting till the summer um it, you reminded me that like yeah United were in for Adverro not that long ago and it's funny that like now he's not in the team for Spurs under under Mourinho. <laughs> It, it Get similar with like Deli. Deli was strongly, you know, they Mourinho was instructed and wanted, wanted Deli, wanted Adverrods, and now he doesn't <laughs> particularly want either of them. Now that he has them, that's a, that's an interesting one. I think Bai, by the way, Eric Bay is a very good defender. Just had injury issues, as we were sort of discussing earlier, with like you know what you yeah. are and what you yeah. do. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that I think that we will be. Um, putting quite a bit of the budget into a centre-back in the near future.
3: He has, um, he has tried to protect these, um, especially through Man United and, um, and at Tottenham. He has tried to protect them by signing defensive midfielders. He was the first one to start playing McTominay. I think he bought Fred. He's bought Heuberg now. So he he can see there's an issue and he's trying to protect them just by, yeah, exactly, building a wall in front of them. Mm.
2: Um, We've literally just been linked to um, Napoli's uh, Maximovic
3: Okay. <laughs> no, no
2: comment from our <laughs>
3: correspondent. No, I haven't seen much of him okay. playing. No, I haven't seen, I can't give a comment on him, but. It, it does. It does come down. When we were talking before we before we started recording, Liverpool won the league. They went outside Van Dyke mm. and Alisson, which has a major effect. And yeah, obviously, if you've got top class centre backs, you you do win matches and you can win titles. But apart from Carvalho and Lucio, he hasn't really he hasn't really gone out and scouted a centre back. He's just gone. I mean, I can't. They know. Scouted one was his player, and the other one was a legendary centre back. The players he has bought haven't kind of haven't worked yet, so we will have to see what happens with Roden. Yeah, we we really are in a bit of a pickle with our centre
1: backs at the moment. We've got Alderweireld, who seems to be out of favour, and I mean, if I'm honest, had an absolutely shambolic game against Wickham. Uh, I, I love Alderweireld; I think he's our best centre back still. But I was not impressed with the way he constantly got too tight to Nick Piazu, and it, it was it was not a good look for him at all. It was it was the defending of a much. Uh, less experienced player, and uh, it concerned me a little bit that he kept making the same mistake over and over. Um, then we have got Dyer, who you know, Dyer's Dyer. He's not a, he's not a terrible player. He's not a great player. He's just he's just fine. Um, Davinson Sanchez, who hasn't progressed in the way that we would have hoped. Is well, seemed to be uh, out out of favor. Seemed to be someone who we we might consider a bid for, and more recently has been back in the team. Roden, as Bardi mentions, we don't really know what's going to happen with him, but uh, you know he's he's starting to get some minutes now, so so we'll see. Tanganga, who Mourinho has been on record as saying that he sees more of a, as a fullback, I I strongly disagree with that. I I think Tanganga needs now if he's not going to get a chance at the moment at centre-back he needs to go out on loan and play yeah. centre-back for a season for a season and a half with another team and then and then we make a call on him after that and uh and Juan Foyt who is already out on loan at Vill- Villarreal but I suspect um suspect he won't be coming back or not coming back to stay no
2: Aoma's playing right back on loan sorry I've just told you over you I just find it weird that like he's playing I mean he probably maybe doesn't have much of a, a Spurs future but I I uh, the reason I bring that up is the worry that like we send Tanganger out on loan to play centre back and he gets played a right back as well. Ugh. Why why is Ioma playing right back? What's all that about?
1: Yeah, no, that is that is a strange one. Um Ioma is someone who did play right back, yeah. to be fair, at times for the under-18s and 23s, but for me was always much better at centre-back. And I thought we would send him out to a team where he would consistently play centre-back to give him experience in the role. But I also am sort of almost grateful for the fact that he's getting you know a weekly game. So if that means he plays center, uh, right back rather than centre-back, then I'm kind of i kind of all for it. And maybe he slips into a team next year where he gets to play in the middle and uh, and we see how he gets on there. Um yeah, I mean let's talk about how we prepare for Liverpool. This this will be dated very quickly, of course, because Liverpool's fast upon us. But Bardi, who who partners Eric Dyer against Liverpool for you?
3: Well, I think it's interesting if we look at the United game and the Burnley game. United the both of them pretty much followed the, the same the same blueprint. Obviously United can counter a bit better than Burnley, but it still follows the same that you just sit back. Let them come at you, and they're unable to to cut out the counter attacks at the moment. They don't have Van Dijk stepping across and anticipating the ball into the front man. Um, United United cut the mobile many times with, with playing playing the Jose way with a, a cross-field ball and a counter attack. Burnley did it as well by by forcing an error from there from the centre back and the goalkeeper. I think we're going to play exactly a, a combination of the two. We're better than Burnley at counter attacking. I think we're probably better than United at counter attacking as well. Um, so I, I don't see any change from how we played at Anfield or how those two teams played. I think Bergvaien will start and will return to a midfield of um, Ndombélé, Sissoko, and Shoyberg. I don't, I don't see anything else other than that. Uri at right back, Reggion at left back, and then the only question mark is who plays alongside Dyer And I think we might see mm. Rodin there.
2: Oh, you have stolen my hot take. <laughs> How <laughs> <laughs> do yeah, you can't you, I really don't think that you can play Davidson Sanchez against Liverpool, you know? Um which yeah, which leaves us Rodan or Add who just had a pretty poor game against Wickham and isn't in favour and isn't on form and has played too recently. So yeah, I think I think Roden might well be in with a shout. So.
1: Mm. any chance he goes with the back three and uh, and plays Roden, Dyer and Ben Davis?
2: Um I think that <laughs> surprise, surprise. I think that it will be all about getting Sun in behind, um, yeah. and I think that he will want to start in wide. I think that he'll we we'll want to start behind a fullback and then move central. I think that's not impossible, but harder from a back three. Um, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I see what you're yeah. saying. It makes sense. It makes sense. It makes complete sense. And the other thing we talked about on the on the on the Q and A, the live Q and A. So apologies for the. X subs that we're repeating this but I think it is worth repeating because it was interesting is how um how exposing the system is to to limited players or players who have limitations limited players is too harsh players like Sanchez who we've seen make mistakes fairly frequently um you know playing close to his goal and being asked to make lots of defensive actions means that you know, mistakes are going to happen, right? And if they do happen, you're right in front of your goal. So it's likely that it's, there's a high chance it ends in a goal. Um, so do you think in some ways, Bardi, although the system is designed to protect the centre-backs, do you think in some senses it kind of shows up their weaknesses even more?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, you still Liverpool, love Sanchez, right? I, st- I still I still think there's a, a defender in there. I, I don't think it's going to happen at Tottenham now. I think... Sometimes individuals just just, just need to change the scenery just to get themselves out the funk out of their funk. I think he, I think he could still do a job at Premier League level, but I just think maybe his his time at Tottenham is is done. I Liverpool Liverpool are a funny team. They they just. They've got they got Thiago in there, who's an incredible midfielder, and I think a massive upgrade on everybody else. But there's just something not quite right with them. I'm not going to go into that. We're not behind a paywall here, so I'm not going to go into what I think is probably at the heart of it. <laughs> but I, I think there's I think there's an issue with um, individuals no longer gelling that world. Well. There's a, a clearly there's a visible problem between Sala and Mane. They there's not the same connection. Their front three now are starting to look like a group of individuals, whereas before it was just this this moving kind of shark. You know when sharks attack tuna and do the stuff and force them into a food ball and force them towards the surface and then just chuck in? That's how the Liverpool front three used to look, but they don't look that now. They're just three individuals doing their own thing and perhaps the ball might bobble to one or the other one. So... I think if we don't make any mistakes and we sort ourselves out at crosses, at set pieces, especially, I think I think we might be all right for this. By all right, I think we might get a draw, but um, I think we might be all right. Okay. Um, Nathan, what are your thoughts on, on Liverpool recently? What do you think is going wrong?
1: I mean, obviously they've had disruption to their midfield through injury, which hasn't helped. Yep. Um, it's that and general fitness. I think that's basically it. Uh, fitness, okay, interesting. Uh, you, you so you don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with the front three? You think it's, it's simply fitness? I mean, I'm, what I'm leading towards here is yeah. is do they need to freshen up their attack? I don't
2: think that's the problem. I don't think that's. I don't think that's it. Um I can understand why people will feel that way about like, you know, three players playing together year after year after year and the predictability about their combinations and sort of mental fatigue, but I don't think that's the issue. I think the Firmino, Mane, Salah are still three brilliant attackers. Um, still very hard to defend against. Uh Liverpool's issues are coming deeper in the pitch and um and yeah, and again with, with their fitness levels.
1: I, I really think playing Thiago as the deepest line player and not an eight is is a mistake as well. I'm surprised because Milner's played a bit in midfield recently, and I sort of feel like he he would do a fine job as a sort of more more of a holding player for them whilst their centre backs look frail. Uh, I'm surprised that they've not tried that one out, but um, is, do we know if Henderson's back for Thursday? But he's been a real big loss for them, to be honest. We shall see. We shall see. Um, But I'm going to come back to you on this one as our as our uh, as our resident dietitian. So this is from Matt Smith, who says, can you guys talk about Juan de Ramos banning the apple crumble? I know it's an old story, but I found it hilarious. Darren Bent spoke about it recently on TalkSport. So it obviously came came to um, it came to uh, Matt's attention because Darren Bent spoke about it recently. But uh, go on, buddy. Talk us through it.
3: I mean, Juan de Ramos was perfectly correct in that. There was also the rumour that he took away all the ketchup bottles from the table. You're you're a footballer, you're an athlete. I don't think there's many athletes out there who are smashing apple crumble regularly and especially pre-game. Like, what does that give you? It gives you a sugar rush, but you can get better forms of sugar. You can get better. It's got a bit of carbs in it. But yeah, you shouldn't. If I was a football manager, I'd be exactly the same. Eat proper food. Rem- the donuts are out. Everything is out. And I agree with one day ramos um the um Darren Bent went on to say that was the reason why one day Ramos got sacked it wasn't really it was he got sacked because he got two points to make games, and we were going to get relegated under him um but I think a football manager coming in and having control over his player's diets is a good thing um they players for the most part are children, and if left to their own devices, they'll do the easiest option, so I think it's okay to have their diet controlled there is professional athlete they should they should know what they're apple
2: eating. crumble is a is a real kryptonite for me um i had apple crumble last night uh <laughs> por- portion portion control is uh, is a big deal for me I, I never know when to stop um i always i'm always ha- like you, I, you can't fill me up you know um and so like if it's um if it's a slice of cake if it's a if it's a couple of biscuits you know it's easy to um just use your eyes but apple crumble i had apple crumble last night i was like i'm just gonna have a small portion i'm just gonna have a small portion i'm gonna have some custard as well and then oh the bowl is basically entirely full and it's not even a small bowl either so i i feel i feel like the um the um the texture of of apple crumble makes it especially hard to control the portions of you know so uh yeah i I, I'm, i'm with one day on this one
1: I mean, the thing is, uh, it's it's all completely reasonable, isn't it? Your body's right. These are these are professional athletes. <laughs> why are they why are they knocking back apple crumble? But that said, as as a manager you can't just sort of take away all the good things and not explain what you're doing either. Like it has to be followed by like a detailed explanation of the benefits you're going to see from this. And then maybe rewarding them in some other, finding another way to reward your players. And that's, that's Mm. obviously what, what Ramas lost If, if, if Bent's come away thinking, you know, Bent said it sounds silly, but it's tough. You know, he's found genuinely found it difficult to have, Treats removed from him So Ramos needs to find another way to engage yeah. his players And make them feel like they're being rewarded In, in some other way uh, And, and I, perhaps I, you I, know, the language barrier can't have helped
3: yeah, no, I don't believe it either. Why would he remove pepper? Pepper is a excellent seasoning to put on something which doesn't 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 have any effect on you. Yes, I agree that too much salt is a bad thing, water retention, mm. everything else, but pepper's fine. Most dietitians will tell you go crazy on the pepper, but relax on the salt. I mean with the ketchup bottle he's he's missing a trick there because surely, you know, ketchup, salt
1: and pepper. You, you're getting on, you know, you've got your condiments on the table. That's an opportunity to talk tactics while you're having <laughs> breakfast. You know, you move the tomato ketchup around <laughs> to show the roaming defensive midfielder.
3: No. What he should have done is remove the ketchup and put sriracha there instead because sriracha, you use a lot less of it and the sugar content is a lot less as well, I think. But either way, you, you'll, you'll use far less sriracha than you would ketchup. So it's that's lad, people, lads and ladies we that listen to this. If you're trying to cut back, remove ketchup from your diet and put sriracha there. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. While we've got Barty talking
1: about his specialist subjects, Bardi, why don't you, uh, you explain what you've been doing recently?
3: What? What have I been doing recently? I, I, I do a lot Book of class, BBC. Oh yes, <laughs> I thought you were talking about like cooking or something else. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I released episode one of Barty's Book Club. I wasn't sure. I've been playing around with this for a while on what format to do. Um, so I decided to do a one-man <laughs> pod, a one-man review, which was very strange sitting here talking to myself. But um, I read Tobias Jones's Ultra: The Underworld of Italian Football. Um, so he was talking about the history of ultras how their their influence on the game um, he followed um, He followed Cosenza, which are a rubbish um, lower league team he followed their um, ultras for a couple of seasons and talked about hanging out with them and all the kind of stuff that they went through. And it was a it was an interesting book. I'm not gonna spoil what I think whether or not you should go and read it. But yeah, I I finally got Bardi's book club out, which was a great personal relief. You know what it's like, Wendy. I know you're also the same that if you say you're gonna do something and you continually don't do it, it it plays on you. So I'm, I'm happy it's out there. And next month, there's going to be um, another Bardi's Book Club. Now I've got to read a book in a month. So I really have to focus. No more football manager. <laughs> yeah, you've definitely
1: got a bit of um, completed finishing in you when you've committed to something. And you're kind of mm. you halfway there with the task. It irks at you that you can't get it finished. So you, yeah, you've got to get it done. I, know I'm if I, say... I, hate, I hate not having tasks unfinished
3: me and you we have an unfinished task now that's been there for many many years and i know i can see your face on the video that if i mention it you already know what i'm talking about it it haunts me still that that edition of the fighting cock (laughs) fanzine, the tactics edition which we never finished it's just there and it it hurts me every single day and it's been hurting me for like five years literally like a (laughs) a dagger
1: into my kidney oh god awful um couple of questions and then we'll sign off so this is from ram who says what do you make of Mourinho's comments at the press conference recently about the most talented players in the academy being 16 not 18 or 19 um i'll take this one guys if that's all right <laughs> <Continue>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have i have opinions on this and I sort of have a more general opinion that I'd like to share on on the state of things in our academy as well. Um, so I, I I completely agree with Mourinho's comment that there there are a group of players in the under 23s who are highly 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 unlikely to make it into our first team, and there are some youngsters. You know we know the names uh, Dane Scarlett, Alfie Devine, maybe even Hackett volton But you know there are there are some really 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 good sixteen year old players at spurs who are highly talented and have massive potential but saying that in a press conference seems absolutely insane to me for for a whole host of reasons mainly because uh i can't imagine how deflated the the older players must have felt after hearing that i can't imagine how deflated the academy staff and coaching team must have felt after hearing that um it also it also sort of removes what i think is one of the greatest aspects of management and Uh, Not just football management, but management generally in any walk of life in in that to have the the, the belief that someone can improve, that someone can get better, that someone can become something they're currently not. And I think it's so it's so important to leave that open, uh, that improvement open as a possibility in your own mind and therefore in the mind of the person you're trying to develop. And I, I really took issue. I mean, I, I, I tweeted about it, but I didn't say too much because I really could have gone in, um, to be honest. And, and that wouldn't have been good for me or my mentions on Twitter. And the other point that I thought was worth mentioning around the academy is that this week we finally sold Anthony Georgiou, who turns 24 next yeah. month. And, and I just think that. If you end up holding on to a player like Georgiou, and no disrespect meant to Georgiou, who is a not-untalented player, he's a very hard-working, uh, wide midfielder who can also fill in at fullback. not a bad player at all, but clearly not good enough for Spurs' first team. And in my humble opinion, and it is a humble opinion, uh, not good enough for Spurs' first team since, I mean, obviously since he was like 20, it's been clear, but... Uh, Something's gone wrong if you've still got him when he's about to turn twenty four, right? That that's not that's not normal. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be having players at that age who are so far off the first team. Uh, there needs to be a sort of exit strategy for these players and, and it's been problematic. It's been problematic for a while. Uh, it's definitely things are moving in the right direction under Mourinho with the the change of a loan policy, but there's a lot of work to do for Spurs to, to fix this problem. And someone sort of pushed back at me for, for commenting on Georgie's situation and, and saying like, well, you know, it's his choice. He could sign a contract. He, he he could choose to leave and not sign a contract. And there are two things to that. Firstly, you know, you if you've been at a club for a long period of time and he had since he was a, a young child and they're offering you a a good living and the alternative is you might not get a club or you might get a club a lot lower down the pyramid and you might earn a lot less money. Uh, You need, you need a good agent, you need good advice to tell you that that's the right thing to do. Um, I think it's sort of almost immoral that the club continued signing into contracts, but also I I think we need to look at the message it sends to other players. And that's the most important thing. It's, you know, why would a young player want to do their scholarship at Spurs? If this is what happens, we need to sort of show the, the young players that we've got coming through that even if they don't make it Spurs, we're going to make sure they have a really good career in league football and we're going to deliver them uh, a top, you know, we're going to build on the top class work our academy structure has done for many, many years for them and uh, and deliver them into the football league pyramid. I think that's sort of really, really important, being able to sort of sell the dream, sell the vision. Uh, you know, we lost... Noni Maguireki, who is now absolutely smashing it, he left. He didn't. He didn't do his scholarship at Spurs because at that time Mauricio Pochettino was um, seen to be sort of stopping players going out on loan, stopping a pathway because he wanted to keep them in and around the first team squad, which was. Which was his opinion of the right thing to do, but you know, not, not what I thought was the right thing to do, and clearly not what Madueke thought was the right thing to do, or his agent, or whoever. Uh, we we need to stop making these mistakes with our academy. We need to have a, a proper strategy in place. And I'm I'm definitely more hopeful under Mourinho that he's got the loan stuff fixed, but I do have some deep concerns about how we manage players post scholarship still, uh, and I'm yet to see I'm yet to see uh, a clear strategy, a clear vision. Anything either of you would like to add on academy stuff? No, not. Nope. Okay. Right, let's end on this one because, yeah, why not? Uh, Fair Lumbo says How big of a fee would it take for a club to buy Tongi and Dombele? At what point would it be worth it to sell him and maybe reinvest that cash? bearing in mind that with the way he plays, he may not be able to sustain it forever. In a couple of years, it may be worth it for us to sell him at peak value before he begins to decline slash the end of his contract approaches so we aren't left in another Ericsson or Rose situation. Um, I can see Nathan will be absolutely rubbing his hands together because he loves these conversations around when's best to set a player. But I mean, when you read it at first, the question about selling a player that is one of our best players and someone I've just described as deciding I've been most excited about, it sounds ridiculous to be considering that. I mean, that, that conversation might be taken out of our
3: hands, to be honest, a couple of years, but interested to get both of your thoughts. Bardi, let's start with you. I mean, you're asking Nathan and I, and we both love selling Tottenham <laughs> players. So, i th- I think I think eighteen months, twenty four months, two years. I think I think I think he'll be gone within two. But the problem is, we saw that this week with Barcelona's finances have come out. They're not buy They're not buying anybody of of Endombele's stature anytime soon. So it would be Real Madrid, but I don't think financially they're as well off. Who buys him PSG? But they've got their own problems. So I think. I think I think we're arriving to a point in across Europe with the pandemic and everything else that maybe that there's not these clubs. China put a, a cap on their spending. There'll come a point where people won't be able to afford Endombelli for his price. Um but yeah, I think I think it makes sense to, in two years time if he continues on this trajectory to sell him for 120 130 million pounds make our money back and then some but who's going to buy him who's got that money i don't think many clubs do nathan i guess it also depends on where we are as a
1: as a team and as a club at that point doesn't it you know are we are we challenging for titles in two years if so we surely wouldn't sell in Belay, but uh what do you think
2: I mean, yeah, this is the thing with the like. We should have sold Delhi at this point. We should have sold Ericsson at this point. Is that like, were we actually turning down offers, or were we just not like, you know, asking his agent to offer him around or whatever? It's um, are the are the are the buyers there? This is the thing. Is like, um, yeah, it, it's all very hypothetical because my position is that you should base unless unless you're talking about Harry Kane, who for more sentimental reasons. Um, It's important to keep hold of him. Everyone else is up for sale um, for the right price. You know, Uh, if I'd I'd have to like really sort of sit and think about how much to sell a a Dombele for, um, it would probably be triple figures. Um, But yes, even now, even right now, you should be open to offers on every single player you have, except for Harry Kane, because he's different. Because of who he is, because of what he means to the club, what he means to the fans, what he represents, where he grew up. But everyone else, yeah, um, all of our best players, you should. Do it. And th- this is based on this is this. You have to like, you have to have faith in your recruitment. So this is more working <laughs> from like an ideal situation. But it's like when the question is, what would you do? Then I also have to suppose that I'm good at recruitment because if I'm only affecting one end of the the sales decision, that's sort of a broken question. So the ideal club is running in a way that they are always open to offers for every single player unless there are special circumstances like they are with kane <sighs> i
1: i don't I don't quite know how to respond because I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You're right. I mean, we you're, you're right that we should entertain offers for all of our players. But I mean, the first thing is I absolutely do not trust our recruitment team to replace Ndombele effectively. I I just don't. Um And I, I also just think like it's more it's more like, God, he's so good. And he could, you know, he's the kind of player that could win you a league. I really believe I really believe he's the kind of player that can win you a league. And I don't think there are many players like him in the world. And so I sort of put I put him in the cane category. I put him in the unsellable list. Um, at least for a couple of years. I think maybe he moves onto the sellable <laughs> list when he when he gets to like twenty seven, twenty eight, maybe. And even then, I don't know. I, I feel like I I think Bardi's point's also a good one. We paid what sixty million for him. There's no way we're selling him for less than three figures, even at this point and who's going to pay that? No, I don't think anyone can afford it. Maybe Man City can afford it, but we're not going to sell to Man City. We're not going to strengthen a rival. Um, So it's probably a moot point anyway. But
3: yeah, wow. You really do like selling all of our players, don't Mm -hmm. you guys? wind windy's house is full of like old clothes and stuff that he wore once and he had a good night out in that shirt and he's he's never going to get rid of it whereas nathan and i would be totally minimalist nothing nothing there let go wendy learn to let go say thank you and let go put it in the box and take it to the charity shop
1: you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.